0: Hello and welcome to the Compass live stream, the only and therefore the best podcast and live stream dedicated to proof of work Bitcoin mining. Today we got two awesome guests lined up to talk about Bitcoin mining and sound money. So we're going to dive into that in a second. Beforehand, I want to ask everyone to like and subscribe to the channel. It really helps us reach a broader audience and get this information in front of other Bitcoin miners out there. Uh, I want to welcome Drew Armstrong, President and CEO of Cathedra and AJ Scalia, CEO of Cathedra to the stream. How you guys doing? Great to see you. Great to see both those mustaches as well. They haven't left you. Obviously, you guys just went through a huge change in terms of branding. But even before you guys rebranded, you moved away from Galaxy and jumped into Fortress and now Cathedra. That's a huge transition, huge leadership shakeup, different vision for the entire brand. And it's also a public company. So that's not something to like overlook at all. AJ, I'm going to throw that question to you. Can you tell us why Fortress kind of moved away from prior leadership as much as you can delve into it? Uh, don't need to go too far into it. And then what the leadership you guys are looking to bring to Fortress specifically?
1: Happy to. So um, the, yeah, the previous CEO is, and the founder of the company is a guy named Aiden Kilich. Drew and I have a great relationship with Aiden. Stayed on. Uh, he's he's still kind of on part time as a consultant, kind of helping with the transition. But uh, yeah, Aiden has has left the company to go join Hive Blockchain, which is you know obviously a much larger publicly traded Bitcoin miner, and he's uh, there. I believe they're COO and president now. So um, yeah, Marty Bent, who was a good friend of Drews and mine, just kind of through the New York Bitcoin scene over the years. He was joining Cathedral's board or at the time Fortress's board um, late in the summer and was really tasked with replacing Iden uh, with new leadership. And so he heard that we were leaving Galaxy at the time over a, uh, a beer or two, or, or perhaps more at Bitblock Boom, the conference down in Dallas. He, uh, he basically asked if we wanted to come on and, and lead the company. And so we uh, we're ecstatic to be here. We've got some big plans for Cathedra beyond just the, uh, the rebrand and the name change. And uh, yeah, we're, we're super excited.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it was uh, interesting just from my perspective seeing you guys jump over there. Uh, Obviously, you guys have been in the space for quite a while and with Galaxy, which has an extremely strong brand uh, across the space and a very strong Bitcoin mining arm uh, led by Amanda over there. So it was cool to see you guys kind of branch out and more Bitcoin miners kind of taking the helm of some of these firms. Let's dive into the rebrand. Obviously, it has... Like Fortress is a very strong name as well. Like Cathedral is a strong name. Fortress is a strong name. But it, it, there's there's a lot of motivation behind it. And I was looking kind of over some of your press releases that you guys have put out there. And it really seems to be uh, about building this brand about a long-term structure for Bitcoin, a long-term structure for Bitcoin mining, and how Cathedral can fit into that uh, by incentivizing like, long-term thinking. Uh, AJ, I'll throw it back to you, and then Drew would love to get some input.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right and I'm glad you kind of picked up on it in our communications. Um, you know, there's this uh this metaphor for that I've seen thrown around from from various people. I think Nick Carter was the first one who uh who used it, but you know, Bitcoin is like this monetary cathedral. And you know, the cathedral as this this symbol of low time preference back in the, you know, the gothic times, they would uh build these cathedrals over the course of centuries and the people who who began working on them weren't even alive or around to see the cathedral through to completion and that's sort of the ultimate embodiment of low-time preference, long-term thinking. And that's really the spirit we want to bring to the company.
2: Yeah. I, I think similarly, when you think about, say, Bitcoin, um, it is a multi-generational project that we're all working toward, um, adding whatever value we can to, to improve the network and make this you know even more powerful and effective tool for uh, human flourishing and, and human freedom. Um, and so we, we love that association. Uh, What we really want to build is a category-defining company in Bitcoin mining at the intersection of Bitcoin and uh, energy. And so um, we, we, we really just want to celebrate the beauty that we see in Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining.
0: Totally. You know, I think it's really strong branding that gets across to everybody when they see it. So definitely a nice pick. And another strong point that I saw on a recent podcast was that the cockroaches of Bitcoin mining. Uh, I don't know if it was Drew or AJ came up with that. And uh, I'd kind of like to delve into to that. We almost labeled this live stream that, but we thought it might be a little better to, to label it something else. Drew, can you kind of tell us what that means in terms of Cathedral, like kind of like your business strategy?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, I I wouldn't be offended if you had called us the cockroaches of Bitcoin mining. Um, But it was something that actually just came up uh, organically on an investor call, AJ Ron uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, If you think about cockroaches, uh, no matter what sort of mass extinction events might happen, uh, cockroaches stick around, uh, unfortunately, often in people's pantries. But um, I I think uh, what we really want to do is have a strong business that can withstand even the most Aggressive bear market. Um, AJ and I we're, we're children of the bear market. And the two and a half or three years we are at Galaxy, um, we were used to modeling out investments and in mining operations and considering six cent hash price uh, uh, that we saw in July and August 2020. We remember when Bitcoin was at 3k. That, that was when we were going fully down the rabbit hole, and when we were uh, we were already on a Bitcoin standard as we're watching it plummet. Um, and so that's where we're. we're We're used to that. This period of $0.30 hash price is relatively novel and and has only been around for a short while. So AJ and I want to build a company that will survive decades and and be be around as we watch hyper-Bitcoinization unfold. And so to that end, uh, it's really important that you have defensible operations that will continue to hash even in the worst bear market. And we really care a lot about resilience and robustness.
0: Yeah. AJ, unless you have something to add in there, I'll jump in and say it's like pretty refreshing take compared to a lot of the stuff we've seen during the bull market uh, where people are just throwing money at the wall and kind of running with huge funding rounds and not really asking questions about what's going to happen if Bitcoin does go into another dip. Uh, I just love that perspective. And I was actually talking about it yesterday with Amanda uh, on a Twitter Spaces about how like there is that price curve that a lot of Bitcoin miners need to be cognitive of. Uh, otherwise, they can kind of get chopped off by it. Uh, but we'll get it a little bit into that further into the stream. Uh, and I kind of want to circle back to the entire point in question that we have for you guys, which is about making sound money with cheap energy. Uh, this year, 2021, we saw that Bitcoin mining kind of popped into the public consciousness. And that specifically happened in April uh, with Elon Musk tweeting about uh, Tesla not accepting Bitcoin anymore because of like the energy problems associated with it. And that just drove a lot of headlines for Bitcoin mining. That previously there there wasn't really that much interest in it at all. There certainly wasn't this much interest in the ESG narrative or the energy mix behind Bitcoin mining. But now it's almost like a household conversation, and you guys certainly fit into that with uh, with your play as kind of being like those cockroaches of Bitcoin mining. Uh, I do want to note though that there's a lot of skepticism about this counterpunch to the elon musk tweet right where we have a lot of bitcoin miners out there saying uh, bitcoin mining is actually good for the environment and that counterpunch it doesn't always land very cleanly cleanly for some people they don't really uh, agree with it and i want to get your guys's elevator pitch on why bitcoin mining is actually good for the environment or maybe you don't agree with that maybe there's a little bit more nuance there uh aj if i can throw that question to you and then drew really want to get your thoughts on it
1: it's a it's a great question and i i'm kind of on the record as a skeptic of certainly ESG um, initiatives perhaps you know man man-made climate change as a whole um, you know as, as a, a sort of hysteria that's been receiving a lot of attention the last decade and you know increasingly so uh, I, I think the way I would phrase it is like Bitcoin mining is actually the ultimate the ESG business and not in the very narrow sense that, that a lot of people think about ESG, as where it's like, you know, just measuring your, your carbon emissions or something like that. But in a, in a much broader and I think more profound sense, um, when you, particularly when you compare Bitcoin as a monetary system to the alternative or the status quo today, which is the, the fiat standard or the fiat system, I think, uh, you know, the, the fiat system we have today with this form of inflationary money that everyone's using for, for economic calculation incentivizes all sorts of, you know, misallocations of capital high time preference behavior that leads to, you know, perhaps unnecessary or increased consumption of resources, uh, you know, waste, pollution, trash, uh, all these sorts of things. And that's just on the environmental side. And then I think on the, the social and governments piece, which is perhaps the the side that gets less attention in these conversations, I think Bitcoin, again, presents a much more compelling alternative to the, the fiat system, whereby, you know, under, under the fiat standard, uh, you have a uh, a small group of fiat insiders who are close to the money printer and these generally tend to be you know wealthy white men from privileged backgrounds who are benefiting pumping up their asset prices at the expense of the hard-working underclasses who are just trying to get by and perhaps don't have as much of their wealth in financial assets and tend to hold cash and so are therefore disproportionately punished by inflation so that doesn't seem very socially conscious to me and the alternative of course here is bitcoin where it's a permissionless open monetary network. Anyone can spin up a Bitcoin wallet and receive Bitcoin and store their savings and their their time and their effort in the, the hardest form of money that we've ever created. And then finally, on the governance side, uh, again, I would say it's, it's a similar situation with the fiat system where we have central banks and federal governments completely run amok. They're uh, financing their operations and activities through inflation rather than taxation. They're no longer accountable to the taxpayers of the citizens. And this is all enabled by the fiat standard where, uh, you know, Bitcoin, a sound monetary system where you can only produce new units of the currency by mining it and putting in true proof of work. You can't just get close to the money printer. It starts to hold these governments and these central banks accountable again. So if you take like a broader view of the whole ESG issue, I think you could make a very compelling case that as Bitcoin miners, we are actually the most ESG friendly business in the world, or we're certainly among them.
2: And I would just add a couple of things there. I mean, well, one other small point to start with on the governance side of things. Uh, I mean, we live in a world where you see central bankers and legislators front running uh, their own policies in their PAs, um, which is mind blowing when you just think about the, the maligned incentives there. Um, but you know, I think thinking, taking a step back and thinking maybe a little bit more about energy, um, I think it's just really also important when' whenever we're having these conversations say about about like climate change um, and about just the world we live in today and, and and how you know what rules should be imposed on industry or should be imposed on industry, uh, if any, I think uh, it's just important for us to not lose sight of the role energy plays in human life. Um, you know, as 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 humans, we depend on energy. The reason that we're able to, uh, enjoy, call it the certainty of survival or whatever, you know, the closest thing we have to it today uh, is only because of our ability to harness and channel energy. When we think about what humans were doing, uh, you know, tens of thousands of years ago, h- humans were were struggling to find net positive returns on energy and were spending much of their days trying to, uh, trying to find the energy and extract the energy that they need to survive. Um, through human ingenuity over the thousands of years since, We've been able to take advantage of forces beyond our uh, physical bodies in order to um, in, or, in order to better promote uh, human survival and human flourishing and if we look around the world today um, you know people in uh, parts of the world say without air conditioning or without refrigeration without clean water the only way that we can lift people out of poverty is with more energy um, and we have a couple charts in our investor deck online but uh you know a- every unit of energy translates especially in these countries translates to uh a growth in GDP which it can have a big impact on the quality of life. Um and so I think I think that's it's just it's it's really important. You know, I I I uh I, I, I there's perhaps a lot of Bitcoin maybe that I don't see fully eye to eye with in terms of the um uh sort of maybe like um this this debate around externalities with carbon Uh, carbon emissions, maybe having no controls. But I think no matter what your stance on climate change is, it's so important to uh, just understand the relationship that humans have with energy and what energy can mean for human flourishing.
1: And I actually, that's a really good point, Drew. I would just add quickly on the end, you know, Bitcoin mining incentivizes new and and more efficient forms of generation now that you have this permissionless energy sink that anyone can basically uh, use to monetize energy, regardless of where they are in the world, as long as they have an internet connection. And so um, when we think about like, how the environment is actually preserved and, and um, you know we can sustain human population and economic growth without destroying the environment, it's through advancements in energy generation. Like The, the, the countries that are more heavily reliant on you know, the, the, the most modern and dense forms of energy generation, whether it's nuclear or natural gas or things like this, these are the, the countries that have the most pristine natural environments the cleanest waterways, the cleanest air, it's the developing nations that are still using biomass and burning wood primarily for the fuel that have you know, deforestation problems, dirty waterways, tons of air pollution. And so, you know, again, this is just another way Bitcoin mining can actually incentivize advancements in generation that will ultimately lead to a cleaner and healthier environment for everyone. 100%. 100%.
0: Let's, uh, let's stick on this human flourishing question. I, I think I kind of want to pose a question to both of you guys based on where I'm kind of seeing like the market for energy among Bitcoin miners. Uh, we kind of have on one side, like the anti-renewables crowd who are mostly saying like, we don't want renewables yet. They're not ready. We need sustainable base loads. Uh, that'd be like natural gla- gas or nuclear things of that nature. And on the other side, you kind of have those ESG crowds that are, They're more interested in uh, finding the ESG uh, talking points than necessarily uh, answering the bigger questions. And kind of looking at your press release, I saw that at the bottom, you guys noted that you are in favor of using any energy source that kind of makes sense. Uh, So I wouldn't say you guys are necessarily in the middle of those two crowds, but you definitely seem to be in favor of using renewables where and when it makes sense is that kind of an appropriate way of framing the way you guys look at renewables, or would you say that you uh, more heavily lean towards investing in sustainable baseloads from natural gas, nuclear, whatnot? Uh, Drew, I'll throw it to you first.
2: Yeah, you know, I think it's really um, like w- when you think about your role as a Bitcoin mining company, your your job is to manage a portfolio of hash rate. Um, it, I'm not I'm, we aren't the first to say this. I think Harry Sutik has been putting this idea forward for a while. But um, when we think about Uh, energy sources, we think it's really important to have a diversified energy strategy. So looking at our operations today, we have a uh, grid-powered site in Washington that's largely powered by hydro. And then we have a partnership with Great American Mining that uses largely flared gas. Um, Let's think about flared gas for a second. You're taking an energy resource that is literally being wasted otherwise, right? You have an oil well that is producing methane as a byproduct, this methane would otherwise be vented or just flared, you know, into the atmosphere, which is, you know, adding uh, no additional utility to the world. But with Bitcoin mining, we, we are utilizing this otherwise wasted resource uh, and using that to power power operations. I think well, one thing that often gets lost in this, in this energy debate is just the um, so, sort of what's actually like viable for, for sustaining human life today. Um, and if you think about intermittent renewables, you know, it, I think many energy experts are quite skeptical that it is possible to have a renewables-only grid. We don't have the utility-scale storage that, uh, that we need to have long-term energy storage, from, you know, across six months from the summer through the winter. Uh, also, just thinking about it from a systems point of view, it can uh, decrease resilience and make sort of a more fragile grid infrastructure. And so often what you see when uh, a certain region, say California or Germany, Announces that they're making a push towards renewables, and maybe they're shutting down some nuclear reactors, which we have more more to touch on there. Um, but what they end up doing typically is either burning more fossil fuels themselves or paying someone to burn it uh, elsewhere. Um, one idea, Aj and I love, is the idea of entropy, and you can create this order in your in your own little region, right? Of just oh, it's only wind and solar, but in the middle of the winter or in the heat of summer when maybe the sun isn't shining or the wind isn't blowing, those electrons need to come from somewhere. And typically all you're doing is, is pushing those uh, that, that base load generation elsewhere outside of your system only to bring it back. And so I personally am a huge, you know, nuclear bull. I, I love the the stream that you guys did uh, a couple of weeks ago with Eric, McCl- uh, Eric McLaren and um nuclear Bitcoiner. And then I, obviously you guys know the, you know, Jake and Caroline from Oklahoma. And I think, nuclear is tremendously important. Just to go on a slight tangent here, a couple weeks ago, I went to a uh, a protest for the closure or against the closure of Diablo Canyon uh, nuclear reactor that was organized by Isodope. And I mean, when you're just thinking about the fact that California is looking to shut down Diablo Canyon, its last nuclear uh, power plant, it's it's pretty mind-blowing. I mean, Diablo Canyon basically produces one-tenth of California's electricity Using one ten millionth of the landmass, and if you were to compare that to say the um, the largest wind farm in the state, uh, which is actually one of the largest in the world, called Alta Wind Energy uh, Center, so Diablo Canyon produces, call it, sixteen terawatt hours per year of electricity, and that's stable base load generation, no matter what's happening with the sun or the wind. Alta Wind produces only roughly three terawatt hours per year. Um, so in terms of like California total generation. For Alta, that's roughly one point five percent of the, the total electricity generation. Diablo Canyon, that's roughly eight and a half percent. But then when you think about the I'll call the amount of space that they're using uh, of, of like land Alta uh, is using thirty x the the land mass, uh, and so the the total difference in power density is just astonishing. Where Ulta is producing on average two point seven watts per meter square, whereas Diablo Canyon is producing you know si- over six hundred. And so I think it, it just really is um, like when, when we're, th- we're thinking about just like the energy markets in general, they're really dynamic. And one you know, megawatt hour is not equal to one megawatt hour. And so I think it's really important and oftentimes missing in this conversation where a lot of people will say, we can have wind, we can have solar, and that's it, and we'll be totally fine. But unfortunately, you can't, th- that's not necessarily true. And you can't sustain the same quality of life um, that, that humans depend on today. When we look at, say, what happened in Texas in 2021 in, in the winter, uh, without natural gas, there would have been basically no electricity on the grid uh, to keep the hospitals running. Uh, and so this is, this is a, a long-winded uh, tangent that'll, that'll wind down now. But I just think it's really important that we, we treat these topics in energy markets with the proper nuance and the proper respect, uh, because without energy and without stable electricity, humans don't survive.
1: 100%. Yeah. And, and just to riff a little bit more on that you know we're not even touching on the the nuances involved in like the the true environmental impact of these so-called renewables whether it's uh you know the the mining that has to go into them where you're you're basically like strip mining large swaths of the earth uh using dubious labor conditions and practices um and and then there's questions around whether these things are truly renewable and you're there's, there's really no way to recycle a solar panel or a wind turbine. And they oftentimes just end up accumulating in landfills next to poor communities who are, are out of sight of the the rich sort of limousine progressives in California who get to pat themselves on the back for using wind and solar. Um, and then there's the question of like the, the, the density and like the, the land that these things are actually occupying. Like, is there, is there, it doesn't seem to me that that's particularly good use of land to just have like millions of square miles of solar panels and wind turbines. Um, but yeah, I, I digress. Br- bringing it back to mining, though, I think um, yeah, different energy sources have have different trade offs with respect to to you know using them for mining. So renewables, I think, uh, th- there's a lot of talk around Bitcoin mining incentivizing uh, more renewables generation, which I'm a little bit skeptical of because of the intermittency. Like you're, you're spending as a miner, you're spending a ton of CapEx up front on these very valuable specialized computers. And then you want to, uh, to amortize that cost over, um, you, you want to have it basically as, as reliable, um, uptime as possible. And so, you know, if you're using an intermittent power source, you, uh, you're not able to do that as reliably. And so I think, um, when, when I think about like the ideal setup for mining, it's, yeah, it's something like nuclear or hydro or natural gas that is a more reliable base load rather than, renewables. Although I I think renewables make sense, particularly in um, specific contexts where you might have a grid interconnection or something like that that could be used as a secondary source of power.
2: Yeah. And and I would actually, I would just add, uh, totally agree with that, AJ. But uh, two things. One, um, one thing that Bitcoin mining can really help do is if there is a grid with a high density of renewables that maybe doesn't have a great interconnection, a lot of times those renewables are curtailed, right? Like all the wind is blowing and all the sun is shining or, you know, the sun is shining at the same time. And there's a glut of electrons on the grid. And sometimes base load generation is slow to scale up and down and is not really responsive. And so as a result, a lot of times you'll just see curtailment. And so uh, Bitcoin mining can be really powerful in those grid environments where it soaks up that wasted energy. And then when, uh, say, when the wind stops blowing and the sun stops shining, um, the miners can switch off, and that electricity can go elsewhere to where it's needed most. And so, I think Bitcoin mining does perhaps play a symbiotic relationship. But I totally agree, AJ, that it, in terms of incentivizing new renewable generation, um, perhaps not. And, yeah. and I think w- w- one other one other aspect that's just really important, both with the energy con- like the energy conversation in general, whether it's from a Bitcoin miner perspective, thinking about energy resources, or from uh, you know, say from like a grid level perspective, or you know, um, a grid operator perspective different generation sources come with different trade-offs and i I think it's just important to have a nuanced conversation about this um and and, you know there there might not there might be better solutions and worse solutions for 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 given context um but but yeah i think anyone that tells you the it will be entirely one thing uh it probably is missing some important nuance
1: that's actually a great heuristic just generally in life and particularly in the the uh the industry we find ourselves in, gentlemen, the you know the crypto or the blockchain or the Bitcoin space, whatever you want to call it, if someone is promising you something without any trade-offs at all, it's usually a scam, and totally. they're usually not a they're they're a bad faith actor, and um, they're just trying to score they're either trying to take your Bitcoin from you or they're just trying to score some political points.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree with that enough. I, I do want to ask. I think the the honest question here, though, is you guys are very convinced of your thesis, right? Uh, and as a new leadership team coming into Cathedra, you guys have to kind of put forward that idea for your for your stockholders. How do you convince people though who are interested in this ESG narrative? They're not really dedicated to kind of digging into the nuances of this. That your thesis is correct. Uh, I think this question only becomes more important with the long-term perspective you guys have really laid out, right? You want this company to be around, uh, you know, when you have already retired, and you, you want to see the cathedral to continue to be built later down the road. Uh, but stockholders in like the meme economy live in right now—they want investment returns today. So how do you kind of go about convincing them that uh, that your way of viewing energy is is the correct way of viewing it? AJ, I'll throw back to you.
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and Drew and I actually debate this all the time. We're, I don't think we're t- like totally a hundred percent aligned on, as you can see a little bit on uh, how we view these things. But I think there, there's a there's a delicate balance you can strike, right? Where you're not actively going out, you're not you're not going full Steve Barber or Marty Bent, saying like, you know, you're a fiat shill maximalist, like uh, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, and, and for the record, I, I do agree with like much of what they say. But you like, and you can you can tell the approach that we take. in, for example, in the article we wrote, or in our investor deck, and some of our other corporate communications, we're not going out and saying like, "Oh, we think climate change is a hoax." Uh, we're like fossil fuel maximalists or whatever. Um, we're trying to to have the conversation on like a little bit of a higher level, and instead of getting into those arguments, painting a more optimistic vision for the future that that really can unite everyone and say. Okay. regardless of whether you think climate change is a hoax or it's, you know, the most threatening thing that we face today as a species, the only way to cope with that is to generate more energy. Um, You know, even if you think climate change is is an absolute catastrophe, all of the downstream effects of climate change can only be handled if you have cheap, abundant energy to, you know, whether it's help people evacuate from uh, natural disaster zones or relocate migrants or um th- things of this nature and so uh bitcoin mining has a role to play there and, and yeah i i guess that's my way of saying you know we we want to focus on the future we want to be optimistic and paint a vision that can unite people rather than just uh divide them it is a delicate balance
2: though and and just to add add uh, some some other nuance to that um i mean the one thing that we just really care about is being fully honest you know only saying what we believe only saying um you know, what we're willing to stake our reputations on, um, and, 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 you know, put our, put our names behind when, when we think about Cathedra, we, you know, ideally AJ and I are running this company for the rest of our lives. And this is, uh, this is a long-term, uh, in, in, you know, a long-term project that we're working on, um, to, to improve human flourishing. And, you know, so th- thinking about, uh, the, the same, uh, way that AJ and I maybe don't see, uh, eye to eye on 100 in these issues in 100% detail. Um, I come from a standpoint of, uh, like my starting point is assuming climate change to be true and assuming, uh, there to be a lot of, um, really important downstream effects that, that should try to be prevented. Um, but it's important that we, we, we have like a really solid understanding of the data and what exactly the data is saying in a really intellectually honest way, because I think a lot of times the climate change conversation perhaps has, has lost some of that intellectual honesty. Um, and so, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're dealing with uncertainty. We're dealing with uncertainty, thinking about the future. Um, I, 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 am a big fan of Taleb's sort of precautionary principle. And as I would maybe rephrase it, uh, it's important to maybe not mess with complex systems. You don't understand whether it's monetary systems, uh, or, um, you know, economies, um, or, or climates. And so I think one, one thing that we, we really, I don't think we, we, Again, I spend basically no time trying to uh, dumb down any sort of message for our investors. We truly do believe that um, Bitcoin is good for the world, energy is good for the world, and, and really important for human life, and, and important for all of human life, not just um, you know someone who may uh, be sitting behind the luxurious confines of a keyboard. Um, and, you know, there's a big world out there and energy is going to be really important, bringing billions of people out of poverty uh, and helping them enjoy the same quality of life that people say in the United, many people in the United States do. And so I think it's important that we don't lose sight of that. Um, and when you, when you look at some of the people we we respect most in the space, they're people who um, have given their honest opinion uh, and, and called, uh, called shots like they see it. Um, even if they seem crazy at the time, you know, whether that's thinking about guys like uh, say Parker Lewis, who's been a big role model to us. Or I I remember, uh, hearing about how, you know, Matt and Marty would go talk to some companies, uh, Matt Matt O'Dell and Marty Bent, would go talk to some companies, uh, in like 2015, telling them how they think Bitcoin is going to be the future. And I bet they got laughed at. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we we have a duty to just be intellectually honest, uh, uh, members of this community and citizens of the world. So, And,
1: and like that, that message has really been resonating with people. I think, um, you know, there's now, what, 15 to 20 publicly traded Bitcoin miners. The vast majority of those are doing the same kind of ESG song and dance where it's all about climate neutrality or like, you know, buying carbon offsets and things like this. And uh, I think people people are excited to see a couple of 26-year-olds who are just kind of like telling the, telling the market what they honestly think uh, and not trying to like pander to a specific political narrative or um view ideological viewpoint that might be uh might be popular in the market
0: totally so just in terms of the conversation flow i'm going to ask one more question about energy and then move on to some questions about uh where you see the bitcoin mining market right now but uh drew you kind of made this idea or thought pop into my head i want to follow it up by just asking you guys about how you see bitcoin mining incentivizing energy investments Uh, So again, the topic of the stream is sound money, cheap energy. If we think of Bitcoin as like the soundest money, like hard money, uh, then it's a great platform to start building industries on top of, including the energy sector. Uh, So you mentioned that Diablo Canyon was it the nuclear plant that's being shut down in California. You know, what if there was investments from the Bitcoin mining industry pouring into energy infrastructure and it's happening right now, right? It's happening after the China ban and it's happening this small scale where we see like midstream groups working with uh, Bitcoin miners or uh, just like smaller energy firms in local areas kind of building out their local infrastructure. <laughs> but I'm wondering about like bigger investments. Uh, do you guys kind of have, have you thought about that? Have you thought about the idea of Bitcoin miners investing these larger project projects together or jointly or using some of those capital flows that they get access to from being listed? Uh, what do you think that looks like? And do you have any thoughts on where that could be in five, 10 years? Um, Drew, I'll throw it to you, but I'm, I'm really interested to get both of your guys' thoughts.
2: Yeah, definitely. So um, for, first off, I'll just say as a disclaimer that I'm a, I'm a massive nuclear bull. And uh, part of that's hereditary. Um, yeah, my grandfather was—he uh, he left uh, Hungary during the Holocaust, came to New York uh, with his mom, ended up uh, becoming an engineer and actually worked on the Manhattan Project. And so uh, my mom grew up in Los Alamos, New Mexico, because he spent his career working on the national lab there. And so I, I'd always had a background interest in nuclear. Uh, and it, honestly, it wasn't until I started getting into Bitcoin and started really appreciating and understanding the power of mining um, that I started really considering nuclear energy again. And that's just because it is such a dense form of generation. It is such a, um, th- there's so much potential. Uh, Think about just the amount of uh, electricity we could generate for the world if, if we embrace nuclear again. And obviously, n- nuclear is coming back in vogue now, but for the last few decades, especially post Chernobyl and Three Mile Island, there's a real uh, hysteria and fear of nuclear. Um, and so, as, as AJ and I wrote um, the article, uh, Bitcoin Mining in the Case for More Energy, which is now published on Bitcoin Magazine. Um, we we thought about that a, a little bit more deeply. Um, historically, say nuclear has been a slow generation of resource to ramp up and down, and so as a result, it's been limited to base load generation. You basically only want uh, base load generation, such that you can always cover these call it minimum daily electricity demand uh, from industrial customers. Um, one thing that Bitcoin mining can do as a flexible load, and that's sort of the perfect demand response tool, uh, is help a stable generation asset like nuclear scale up and down quite quickly by having basically a a sort of captive customer, say either behind the fence or on the grid, that is able to scale in response to electricity demands. Um, And as we were writing this article, AJ did some really awesome research around, um, uh, call it investment into nuclear and and what had been, uh, you know, some of the reasons why we've seen such lag in nuclear generation build out over the last 40, 50 years. And a big part of it is that utilities aren't the ones building nuclear power plants anymore. It's private companies, private generation companies, and so um, there is for them it's sort of scary to invest in a called old gigawatt reactor um, that's just going to be tremendously expensive. There's going to be an insane amount of regulatory oversight. Uh, It's a really complicated and expensive process. Just look at the delays and over budget build out of Vogel uh, the Vogel reactors in Georgia. And I think. you know, with, with especially just one, one last piece, with the renewables on the grid too being subsidized through renewable energy credits, it makes it even harder for a generation asset like that to compete. Because with wind and solar plants being able to monetize energy on the back end through these renewable energy credits, they can deal with perhaps negative power prices on, on grids. Whereas uh you know, a nuclear generation asset can't. But again, a megawatt hour is not a megawatt hour. And uh when you need the electricity most, you really want stable generation to keep the hospitals running uh, and to keep clean water in every home. And so w- what Bitcoin mining can do is is help de-risk those um those project buildouts because you have this captive customer who's willing to provide a revenue floor for this uh for this generation asset. And I think it's tremendously important. Um one one last point that we also touch on in the article is thinking about nuclear fusion. Uh if if say you had given humanity the ability to uh have a i don't know 10 50 gigawatt generation asset and just just a hypothetical uh 50 years ago you you would have toasted the grid you know you'd have, you would have broken the grid you you really want to have uh you're not going to build generation capacity unless it has somewhere to go and with bitcoin mining as this permissionless energy sink any energy that's built out now has somewhere to go and so perhaps that will finally uh, help unlock some of the investment into fusion research to help make nuclear fusion finally a commercially viable generation source, which again could be tremendously important for humanity. Talk about the energy density that that could offer. Um, and so I think um, I'll, I, I will, uh, yeah, I'm really curious to hear AJ's thoughts as well, but just. On the whole, I think we're still in the early innings of, of Bitcoin mining saturating the energy sector. Um, you know, we're still seeing a lot of hosted data centers, maybe that are built on uh, hyperscale data centers and on-grid environments. But I think as we think about the future of Bitcoin mining, it will continue to saturate the energy sector until the two are indistinguishable from each other.
1: Yep, fully agree. Well said. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe just to add a little bit of granularity around the investment point. One thing Drew and I did when we were at Galaxy, we worked on the investments team, and so. Putting putting my investor hat on, if you think about like underwriting a nuclear or, you know, another power generation project uh, from an investment standpoint using like a discounted cash flow model, for example, you know, one of the most important parts in a a DCF model is the discount rate you use to discount the cash flows. And that is a reflection of the the underlying risk uh, that is associated with those cash flows. And so when you have this permissionless energy sink in Bitcoin mining, where at basically any scale, you have a buyer of last resort for your energy and your electricity. Uh, it, it's tremendously helpful from a from a an investor's standpoint at getting comfortable with a project and lowering the cost of capital and that that discount rate because uh, you know now there's not there's not as much uncertainty around whether there's going to be someone to buy your electricity off of you if you build like a massive gigawatt power project and there might not be the the population center nearby or there might not be the existing demand. You can just drop a bunch of Bitcoin miners right on site and gobble up that energy until there's a there's a better use for it and people are willing to pay more for it. So uh, I think you'll, you'll start to see that play out at sort of a macro scale over the, over the coming decades where you're gonna see more investment in energy because it's now a less risky proposition with the the presence of Bitcoin miners that can monetize any energy that uh, would have been wasted before. Uh,
0: just a kind of follow up before we move different topics. Uh, but you guys both said earlier that you know working in the bear market, you you were looking at these. Uh I don't know, financial models and you're saying hey what's the worst case scenario and how do we make Bitcoin mining work in that in that scenario Do you guys pitch that to these energy firms do you pitch the worst case scenario and what's their response when they look at it you know if, it, if they're hashing in the negative, are they okay with that and would they be good with working with it in the time being they're just going to turn off their machines what's your kind of understanding of how they look at uh, Bitcoin mining during a bear market?
2: Well, so when you think about Bitcoin mining in a bear market, you don't you don't need to be you know maybe faster than the bear. You just need to be faster than the guy next to you. And I think uh, there's there's a lot of high marginal cost producers that have entered the um, entered Bitcoin mining space uh, that insulate that cost curve. Um, And so I don't I don't think it 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 obviously depends on what you're paying for power. But um, you know if you're paying thirty bucks a megawatt hour for power from behind the fence generation resource, I don't think you need to be so worried about uh, call it negative mining margins, just given the amount of hosted capacities online. Um, but it's it, it's a fair question. I think what would, the thing, the main thing that we focus on when we talk to these energy producers is just letting them know that we're in this for the long term. Um, these power plants are used to thinking about 5, 10, 20 ten, twenty-year time horizons, not you know, uh, havings or you know, uh, a year or two. And so, I think our low time preference is a strong competitive advantage when talking to them.
0: Totally. And AJ, if you have anything to add in there, feel free. But I, uh, I'll kind of segue the conversation, and keep on what you're talking about there, Drew. When we're talking about the cost curve going to bear market, and I'm sorry I'm so bearish today. Uh, Bitcoin's barely down a little bit, but uh, just curious since you guys have kind of Position yourselves as the as the long term players. Uh, Amanda Fabiana wrote a nice article, or was included in a nice article from CoinDesk uh, two days ago, talking about the outlook for 2022 and where Bitcoin mining is going to go. And the thing that she noted, along with a few others, uh, is that there's going to be a lot of mergers and acquisitions because some Bitcoin miners are too high up on that cost curve. Right, uh, they're hashing that their, their OpEx and their CapEx are too high for how much they can hash, and if Bitcoin drops or remains relatively in this kind of crab zone, then they're sorry and out of luck. Uh, And it's an interesting point she makes. I think it's a very fair point. We'll see a little bit of that uh, going to this next year, possibly. Wondering how you guys view that from an investment standpoint, is that something that you guys would be looking to capitalize on to grow quicker or are you guys pretty comfortable with your, uh, kind of plot progression that you're working on? And then drew to your last point, just talking about energy providers, are they looking at some of these guys and saying, Hey, maybe we can kind of eat them up as well. Uh, AJ I'll throw that one to you and then uh, drew really curious to get your thoughts.
1: Yeah, it's it's a great question. Drew and I've talked about it a bunch. Um, as I said, there's now 15 to 20 publicly traded mining companies. That seems like a lot. It seems like a lot more than, uh, most other industries or sectors. If you just look at the number of publicly traded companies, particularly in a, you know, at the end of the day, Bitcoin mining is a commodity production business where we all have slightly nuanced strategies. We take different approaches to, uh, sourcing our sites and our, our, our power generation, um, you know, different capital allocation strategies and maybe Bitcoin treasury management strategies. But at the end of the day, we're all producing Bitcoin. So. I agree. There, there needs to be some c- consolidation uh, going forward. Um, we would love to be the consolidator. Uh, I think. I think before you start to see a wave of M and A and consolidation in the space, there needs to be some sort of adjustment uh, on, on the valuation front. Um, just looking at the way these these public companies trade, um, you know, right now, if you were to go out and buy the stock of a basket of like publicly traded mining companies you would be you'd be paying like 300 bucks a terahash. Uh if you were to go out and buy a single machine and plug it in at home, you'd be paying what 80 to 90 bucks a terahash, maybe a little bit more. And so there's right now there's still this tremendous dis- discrepancy there. There's a huge incentive to continue accumulating more machines and plugging them in before there is before it makes sense to economically to go out and buy more hash rate in the form of acquiring another mining company. Um And, and even with private companies, you know, if you, if you start to, if you were to approach a private mining company and start to discuss valuation, what they would do is they would point to the public multiples and say, that's what we're worth. Um, so I I think there, there will probably be some sort of adjustment as conditions become a little bit less frothy. And as you say, some of the higher cost producers start to, uh, to feel a little bit of distress. And then it's not going to be $300 a terahash that people are paying when they acquire these mining companies. It's going to be closer to, uh, to that per machine dollar per terra hash multiple.
2: What do you think, Drew? Yeah, I think that's spot on. Um, very well said. And so I guess maybe then touch on the second part of the question that you mentioned at the end there, Will. Um, will energy producers step in and want to own the mining risk for themselves? It's a great question. Um, on the one hand, they may not see the value. Uh, they may not get valued for it on the public market side of things, right? Uh, they... If they're just doing a small test um, Bitcoin mining operation uh, for, for their project, they they're likely won't see any way in, uh, change in the way that they're traded. Um, but on the other hand, uh, they'd get to own more of that themselves, and they, they, they wouldn't necessarily uh, be selling their power for a small markup. They would own the full arbitrage that Bitcoin mining can offer. So it, it's a great question. I think the main thing is um, a lot of energy producers, you know, to get comfortable with Bitcoin mining, you need to first get comfortable with Bitcoin. Uh, and then you need to get comfortable with Bitcoin mining or perhaps vice versa. But um, m- most people want to have some comfort with the underlying commodity. Um, and we, we haven't seen many energy companies really do that at scale yet. I think Greenwich will go down as being one of the visionaries uh, for really pushing uh, the, the intersection of Bitcoin mining and energy markets. Um, but th- they, w- were, they, they were risky enough to take that bet early on, and it certainly paid off.
0: And it's funny because they're being crucified for that as well on, on Capitol Hill right now. Uh, it's the cost of innovation in America today. Uh, kind of pivoting a little bit to some closing questions as we uh, end the show here in maybe about 10 minutes. Looking at the last year, there's obviously this this is probably the banner year for Bitcoin mining. Uh, we'll see if 22 has, 2022 has anything up its sleeve. But the, the China ban obviously was probably the biggest concern, maybe followed by like ESG, Taproot, stuff like that. Uh, looking back on the China ban, what was, what were the lessons you guys kind of pulled away from it at, from a public mining firm's perspective and what kind of things can you think you can apply to your plan going forward as a, for a business, uh, might be a kind of a weird question, but I, I am interested to, to see what you guys think in terms of just kind of strategic planning, uh, Drew, I'll throw it to you first.
2: Yeah, it's, it's an excellent question. I think the the um, maybe the original lesson I learned with Bitcoin mining is is maybe still the lesson that gets reinforced here, which is you're either hashing or you're not. Um, and you, if you have one really large operation, that may be fine. You know, it likely, it uh, hopefully is fine. Hopefully, there is no regulatory issues that you deal with, or um, your energy supply is not uh, pulled away from you due to means beyond your control. But if, if one of those risks does get you, then you need to shut down your whole operation and then you're not hashing. And that's why we saw this called hash price super cycle continue on even when Bitcoin dropped to 28K, right? Um, so when we, AJ and I think about the strategy here at Cathedral, we think diversification is really important. A diversification by uh, location, energy source. Um, there are a lot of different ways you can produce an electron. Uh, you're, you're still using the same machines when you convert that electron into a hash. But um we we really want to have a, a fleet that is uh, diversified and resilient so that we can keep hashing uh, no matter what might happen um, and Bitcoin mining is a permissionless energy sink. is totally location agnostic and can be a valuable service provider to energy resources and is, uh, resources and energy producers anywhere in the world what What would you say was the big lesson for you AJ?
1: No I think that's the same for me there's There's a certain like Class of risks that are often overlooked or discounted by the market in good times. Um, you know, geopolitical risk, uh, concentration of your hash rate portfolio in a single jurisdiction or a single energy source is another way of thinking about that. And uh, yeah, we're building a, a multi-century company here. We don't we don't want to be concentrated in any particular area that would jeopardize the future of our business. And so. Uh, we really want to take a, a low time preference, long term approach to building up a high quality portfolio of, uh, of Bitcoin mining assets that's diversified to really reduce those tail risks and avoid a situation like we saw in China earlier this year.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And Drew, that might be the the line of the show. You're either hashing or you're not. I think that might be the the takeaway for most people during this last year. Okay. So we kind of do this 32nd roundup questions at the end. That I like to throw at you guys and see how fast you can answer. And maybe you'll slip up and say something you shouldn't. it's always kind of fun for us. Uh, but I want to get your guys' perspective on where uh, Cathedral is going this next year and then possible U.S. listing, AJ.
1: Uh, it's something we've said publicly. We we plan to pursue one in the future. Um, can't offer any more details than that. But uh, yeah, we want we want to increase the the public profile of the stock, the liquidity of the stock, and uh, you know we're we're going to build a massive company at the intersection of Bitcoin mining and energy. We're going to need to to access capital to do that.
0: Awesome, Drew. Next question for you: Hash rate in the United States and Canada is it going to be over 50% of the network in the next year?
2: It's a good line. Might say just south.
0: South. Okay. Yeah. Last live stream, we had some people say 49% they're chickening out. They want to piss anyone off. Uh, okay. Then last question for AJ, what three States are going to be the highest hashers? Uh, Texas hobbies, obviously, obviously probably number one, but maybe you can pick two and three. Mm,
1: that's a, that's a really interesting one.
0: Yeah. Drew, same question for you. So you got to think a little longer.
1: Um, Texas, certainly, uh, I'm going to say North Dakota and mm, Wyoming.
0: Okay. Texas, North Dakota, Wyoming, Drew,
2: you know, we've been trying to get Kanye, uh, to pick up the phone finally, so we can set up a <laughs> massive Bitcoin mine at his, uh, his ranch out in Wyoming, but he hasn't answered my calls yet. Um, Kanye, if you're listening, reach out, but, uh, I, I mean, might throw in, <laughs> I, I might throw, uh, I think Kentucky, Yeah, maybe deserves mentioning too. Um, just primarily because like they're pretty forward thinking when it comes to, uh, incentivizing Bitcoin miners. Uh, and at the end of the day, one thing that often gets lost in the conversation is everyone's, you know, where, where's my one cent per kilowatt hour power? Well, there are a lot of other costs on top of that. Um, and taxes are a very important one. And so if you, uh, if you can cut, you know, one or two cents off your costs, uh, your total cost anywhere in the stack, you know, that, uh, it doesn't, it's, it's the same effect yeah. on the bottom line. So
1: that's a great point. Nobody ever talks about taxes in Bitcoin mining. And I think hmm. maybe part of it is because it's such a capital intensive business. We've got a ton of depreciation and, uh, you know, oftentimes interest expense to offset our, our taxable income, but, uh, yeah, taxes are a real thing. And it, it, to the extent that jurisdictions can attract more mining activity by, uh, offering favorable tax treatment, I think, uh, those are good places to go mine Bitcoin.
0: Is that why you guys are bearish, bearish on New York? Not going to stick a I'm, not, right? I'm actually
1: not. We're pretty bullish on New York yeah. relative okay. to the rest of the market, I think. Okay. We've got some great yeah. energy resources there. I think, uh, yeah, go ahead, Drew.
2: Yeah, no, I, I would just say I'm not, not an energy expert here, but I think there's a lot of aspects of, of uh, New York that make it a really attractive site to mine Bitcoin, whether it's climate or just the abundance of hydro. Um, and I think you, you know, with the, with the right you know, regulatory environment, um, it could be really attractive and just be like a great resource for some of the the regions in upstate New York.
1: Yeah, I feel like New York uh, bearishness has already been priced in.
0: There we go. Okay, That's kind of my opinion. But we had some people on a prior live stream who were kind of debating it back and forth. Uh, Drew, as a New York native, as was interested to see if you'd list it. Uh, last question for you. So I'm actually,
2: I think, w- 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 Oh, good. actually not a, I will just say not a New York native. Uh, and this, this might be a nice time to give a quick plug to Miss Hauser. AJ and I both grew up together in Virginia and we we're actually in the okay. same third grade class. So that's where, that's where hey, that's we've known awesome. each other now for like 20 years. Okay. Um, but so just a New York immigrant.
0: Okay. You, you stay in New York. I always see you tweeting about it. So thought, thought that's, that was a connection. Um, a lot of people think hash rate is going to double by the end of next year. You guys bullish or bearish on that, AJ?
1: Um, I think we'll see 300.
2: That's not quite a doubling, right? Um, not
1: quite. Close. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think it's, I agree. I think, uh, the, citing my earlier comment about you're either hashing or you're not, there's a lot of miners who have put a lot of really massive orders. Uh, whether or not they can deploy those uh, orders and all those machines in a timely fashion is an entirely different question.
1: Everyone and their mother has a line, a line of sight to a hundred megawatt substation in West Texas, but you're either hashing or you're not.
0: <laughs> no, that is definitely the quote of the stream. So appreciate it, AJ Drew. I want to thank you both for spending time with us, walking through Cathedra and all you guys have been doing, uh, transitioning Fortress into the Cathedral of Bitcoin mining. Thank you both so much for your time. I want to thank our listeners and our viewers for tuning in, uh, like, subscribe, and comment on the stream. It really helps other Bitcoin miners. Find this information from the experts like AJ and Drew, uh, and then they can start Bitcoin mining as
1: well. Uh, Thank you both for joining us today, and we'll see you guys soon.